there's so many ideas out there and people really need to understand if an idea you know, warrants execution. Welcome back to MindShift, everyone. We're on episode 14 and we're coming at you with another guest. We've got a super, super, super special guest. I think there's going to be so much value. Um, as he said before we came online, there's going to be lots of nuggets thrown into here. And I, I truly believe that just based on his resume. But I'm going to hand over to Jonty to say a quick word about our, our special guest before we dive into things. Jonty. Yeah, we are. We are super excited to have Jared Stratum with us tonight. Um, Jared, thank you so much for coming on. He's su such an epic person. Um, he's got three businesses on the move currently. Um, I'm not going to dive into that yet, but Jared, why don't you just introduce us um, yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about your background uh, and yourself. Yo, guys, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I'm like super excited just to to unpack, you know, my journey so far and hopefully um, give the audience some useful information just about business and startups in general. So, I mean, like background me, um, I went to Stellenbosch University. I studied a law degree, um, really, you know, fell in love with the whole concept of, of law and critical thinking. And obviously, as a law student, it's more than just studying law like there's a strong connection between law and business you know as a, as a lawyer you're not only providing legal advice you're also providing commercial advice so i really enjoyed that nexus between the commercial sphere and the legal sphere so you know through that journey i really just found interest in in all sorts of business um, and then towards the end of my lrb i went to holland and i specialized in like big tech law and regulating of big data and stuff like that. And I thought, you know, this is this is quite a, a niche that I would love to I'd love to go down. Um, so I went and I did a postgraduate master of management in Sydney. And there we also just focused on, you know, the the core facets of a business and what makes a business tick. Um, so it kind of gave me that like commercial um, acumen side to my theoretical understanding. And I just met really cool people over there. We spoke to industry leaders that came, they spoke at our um, open events. And um, yeah, so just all of that, you know, combined just kind of triggered my, my passion for creating businesses. Mm. So sitting here today after a very strange year, um, I've managed to I've managed to put together some some great, um, well, hopefully very promising business ideas that are that I think have good potential going forward, and I'm going to discuss them with you guys um, over the next hour or so. And we're very we're very excited to hear about them. There are three. So before you you describe the three, I wanted to ask you, you know, you've you all these three businesses that you're currently involved in, you you started them up now in 2020 but based on what you've just said this passion for business and you know law and tech wasn't isn't a new thing so why would why do you think it all came up now um and to be honest i have started a lot of other things in the past and they all failed and i think that's an important that's an important okay. um, thing to note um businesses are a tricky thing to put together so i mean when I was at Stelly's, I, I spoke to John T about this the other day. And when I was at Stelly's, 
I thought of, you know, sure. creating a brilliant stu idea. student notes um, platform. Um, that didn't take off because okay. barriers to entry were just too low. There was other competitors in the market. Um, and then my other idea was like to introduce a tuk-tuk system in Stellenbosch to get around. <laughs> no way. So busy. Um, that also didn't materialize. So, I mean, it's been a journey of attempts and, you know, for lockdown, I've just had so much time. I've had so much time to really um, buckle down and try these these concepts. And it's just been crazy how, you know, as days progress, they just materialized. So that's why I'm sitting here now. Yeah. I'm in a fortunate position to say there's, there's, three, there's three working operations. So from, from those businesses that didn't succeed, you know, what lessons did you take away from that? And, you know, how do you think that's helped you in producing, a, you know, these successful businesses or, you know, starting these businesses that are on the go now? Yeah. So if you look at a, at a startup, let's, let's say a startup, because a startup is essentially growth. That's what differentiates a startup from a traditional business. It's one that has the potential for, for, for exponential growth. Um, and and related to that is you finding a problem and you are providing a solution. And the problem, excuse the pun, the problem um, sometimes with <laughs> the problem is that it just doesn't tick the right boxes to to really warrant um, a business solution. So, I mean, a problem should, should ideally be urgent. Um, it should be very much necessary for the for the user. Um, and then also you got to look at whether it's a it's a problem that that potential users are facing frequently um, and whether it has the potential to grow. And I feel like those businesses didn't necessarily tick all those boxes and nor did the solution. The solution needs to not only provide a better um, solution than the problems currently being dealt with but it needs to have like a 10x like it needs to it needs to have such a huge utility for that user that warrants that shift in 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 common practice if you understand what i'm saying yeah you know actually have you read the book zero to one yes because um, yes. he actually speaks yeah. about that exact yeah. problem yeah so i mean that 10x or that ability to be so much better than what's currently being offered um, so that's a really cool point that you had there. I need to add that to my my book list, my extensive book list at the moment. But Jared, I love this. I, I really want to dig into dig in deeper to failures because I think something it's not something that's really talked about. And obviously in social media, all people see is highlights and you know the the appeal of an becoming an entrepreneur and starting a business. It comes from the fact that when people see you flying high, they're like, okay, well, that looks cool. Let me go and do that. Like, and I think that's that you know we we should try break some misconceptions here so first question what was your from your time at at Stelly's, um i'm sure you mentioned two like those two those note the note taking uh, venture and the tuk tuk business were those two of many and what what was your favorite of those what, which one did you learn the most and if you could maybe share the story behind behind that certain venture yeah so I would say the the notes the notes platform was probably the most valuable lesson I learned because I was a potential user of my idea. I was the one who was facing the problem and I was trying to solve my own problem. And you know that's that's a notorious statement that gets thrown around in all business textbooks that 
a problem that you are facing is the best problem to solve because you are pretty much verifying the product. Um, so that was a it was a very interesting thing to approach. Um, my pitfall was probably that I didn't surround myself with a team um, that had diverse skill sets um, and that diversity of thoughts. Because when you go into a business, you know. The, what it, what this year has taught me is that the utility of a team is just so pertinent. That diversity of thought, that ability for people to bring to get you know bring their skills together and deliver an output that a single person wouldn't be able to do is something you need to understand from the onset when starting a business. So I mean, I went into that uh, by myself, and I didn't understand the the technology behind it. You know the the hard work of putting together a full stack application. Um, I didn't understand marketing. I've never actually, to be honest, I've never seen the the real potential in marketing. I've always you know thought oh, I'm not going to spend money on marketing. If the product's good enough, it'll it'll do well. That that just doesn't work. Your product can be the best thing out there. No one knows about it. It's worth nothing. Yeah. So, so what I'm trying to say is, you can have a great idea. You personally can have a lot of skills to bring to the table, but if you do not check all the blocks by having a good team around you, it just won't come to fruition. And and just just digging a bit deeper into that, what what was your mindset in the that moment? Do you think? you know, and, and I'm trying to get at like, what would be the reason someone wouldn't go after a team and why do they need to sort of step back and play a bit of a humility card to themselves and say, maybe I can't do this. Was it because you were like, oh, I can do this myself? And yeah, you actually weren't much. equipped to. Yeah, it's a little bit of an ego thing where you're like, well, I mean, I've come up with the idea. I'm pretty sure I can wrap this all together and deliver it myself. But, and also, I was young then, I didn't understand the concept of dividing equity, like that just scared me, like am I going to be giving away 50% of my company to a co-founder when I've thought of the idea? Um, and that that brings me to another, another important um, thing to raise, and that's dividing e equity in a company is, is something that you really need to put a lot of thought into, because for starters, you can't be, um, you know, coming from the onset that because I'm the one who's done the legwork so far, I should have more. That's not that's not how it works. It it works in like the long term. Like, do you see the other co-founder, you know, putting in a lot of value in the long term, and therefore warranting his share of equity? So it's those type of questions that you need to ask. It's always about that long-term growth and that sustainability of the company. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those thoughts. Um, what I was thinking is, should we dive into a little bit more about your current businesses? I'm super excited to hear a little bit more about um, about Newbie, uh, most importantly. Um, but I mean, the other two are also super exciting. Do you want to give a high level breakdown of of each of them, and then we can unpack them a little bit more? Yeah. So, so Newbie, Newbie's been my my main focus this year. Um, it's essentially an app that enables learner drivers to search for driving instructors in the area, find a match, and then book driving lessons. So we, we like to throw around the, the slogan that it's like Uber, but for driving lessons. Because I mean, at its core, that's basically how the business model operates. Um, and it's been, it's been a, a wild ride. Literally, it's been 
unbelievable because pun intended I, yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i can remember i've got pictures of like my initial drawings of how i wanted each screen of the app to look and looking at those pictures now and how it actually looks like the difference is insane and it's only been like 12 months and it's just it's just that journey you know it's like each day is just adding another block to the to the puzzle and it's it's been incredible so i mean i i built the 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 fundamental structure of the app back in march um, and then i brought on my business partner jason bruce brand who i studied law with at Staley's. Um, and he's he's helped me kind of grow the the business and to and to launch it in September. So we've been live for a couple of months now in in Cape Town, um, and yeah, it's it's been going well. I mean, and what's the yeah, what's the feedback you've received so far from users? I mean, uh, what what is what are things looking like as we yeah. speak? Yeah. So I mean, w when you're going into a venture like this, you ideally want to check your product market fit before you you dive in of course and to be honest i didn't i i said you know this is a good idea i would have used it when i was a learner driver again i faced this the problem and i want yeah, to solve it so i went ahead I, I developed the mvp and we launched it into the market um and you know the, the the verification of the product has been amazing both from the learner driver side and the instructor side it's, it was always a question of whether instructors would dig their heels in initially, because we're obviously disrupting an industry. Um, oh, huge, yeah. huge disruption. But, but again, we're just adding a lot of benefit for both sides of the platform, and, and they've, they've realized that. I mean, currently you have 50 plus driving instructors on the app and over one, close to 1,000 downloads now uh, for users. Um, so it's obviously it's booming. I mean, it's only been around for a couple months. Yeah. Um, and you know what I really like is it's really disrupting the industry. And so something that I think it's doing is it's going to for the smaller driving instructors, it's going to, you know, the smaller quality driving instructors, it's going to allow them to to stand out now because previously it would just be based off the biggest, you know, maybe driving instructor schools or academies that, um, you know, had a large spread of word of mouth. So in a way, you're actually increasing the ability for the users to to get better quality drivers, driving instructors, um, and then you're obviously also helping the the drivers themselves who are struggling to to get that reach. So I mean, you know, it's it's really changing the space, um, and I think it's going to have such a positive impact on the on the industry. We're going to see probably better drivers on the road as well, because um, they're going to have better learn le le uh, driving instructors. So. It's such a cool idea. Um, Thanks, Jonty. I mean, that's spot on. Like, that's literally been one of my core missions for Newbie is to break down the barriers that exist in the industry at the moment with these big driving schools that just kind of dominate the um, the supply and demand situation, where all learner drivers are filtering into the big um, the big schools um, through word of mouth, and the little guys are just being kind of pushed to the side. And like you said, doesn't mean they're not bad, uh, they're not not good instructors. It's just they they don't have that that reach. Um, and when you create a platform, and that's the beauty about a, a peer to peer platform, is that when you let it have organic growth with a review system, the best will filter to the top 
Um, and it doesn't matter if it's the big driving school or the small guy, it's how good the service is. So it's benefiting the learner drivers as well. Yeah, I love that, Jared. And it's so true because like, you know, we can all say, that, you know, from the school, even we went to, I remember clearly like the, the driving instructor we all got, you know, there was basically one that owned our whole school and like, you know, just basically just got, you know, offloaded recommendations to her to her you know and that was that was how it goes so i think that's it's a really great thing you're doing um i wanted to ask you you mentioned earlier when we were talking about one of your previous failure you said that the problem should be urgent but you know and then i, I remember listening to your kfm interview where you mentioned that you had made a note about this idea back in 2014 in matric so and there's a there's a I'm noticing there's a few contradictions in in and even how you said that you you usually test product market fit, but you just went straight ahead. So could you maybe elaborate on why this idea took a bit longer, six years to come to the to the fore when you had already sort of had it in your head six years ago? Yeah, so I mean, just a disclaimer. I mean, i'm I'm a humble tech entrepreneur. Who's also very much still learning, and and I'm on the journey of just just trying to build these businesses. So every day is a learning curve, um, but I can I can reflect on what I've learned so far. And I mean, if you asked me last year where do I start um, in making an application that's pretty much like Uber that connects learner drivers and instructors, I would tell you take a hike. Like I I don't even know a line of code. Um, so that was that was the thing back then. It was just intimidating. I was I was intimidated by the the thought of having to start a business where you're now bringing in different stakeholders. You're bringing in legal implications. You're bringing in financial implications. So it was daunting. So I mean, obviously the idea was there, and that's the thing. A lot of people have ideas. Ideas are flowing strong. It's it's the implementation stage that kind of trips people. And execution. And execution. Yeah. I mean, so, what what gave you the edge? Do you think to actually implement it, or what do you think gave you that little push to actually start it? Because, you know, the my first thought is, you know, starting like creating an app. You know, how are you going to actually start that app? So, I mean, I know you said you taught yourself how to code a little bit. I would say it was the master's degree that just kind of like gave me that confidence. I mean, it taught me a lot of a lot of skills that I was like, okay, maybe I should put all these different modules into, into a practical use case. That's pretty much what I said to myself. Like it's time now to actually see how the, the marketing works in the real world, to see how the financial management works in the real world. So that kind of gave me a little um, push to get this thing going. But, but thinking back now, the real um, trigger event, and I actually haven't told anyone this, so it's a little exclusive for the podcast. I love it for the body, <laughs> Um, What we did at the University of Sydney is we would have alumni come and chat to us. And there was this one guy, I've forgotten his name, but he he's the founder of Mad Paul. So Mad Paul is a tech startup in Sydney, and it's basically, um, it connects people who want their dogs to be walked with walkers. So that's that's all the platform does. And he came up with the idea straight after doing the same degree as me. So I was listening to this this guy chat and I was like, okay, cool. Like 
I mean, that seems like a very basic idea and whatever. And he's now like a Forbes 30 under 30. So I was like, okay, I mean, you've got the same um, education as me. Like why, what, what makes you um, more capable of, you know, doing these things? So I spoke to him afterwards. And what, what amazed me was, I'm going to call it the startup hack. So he literally didn't know how to code either. And in the beginning, the website was trash, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> it didn't even have online payments. Um, he, he said he had three guys working with him. They had three telephones in front of them, and they were connecting people via telephone. It was a complete manual system on the back end. <laughs> so I was like, okay, and then how did you take this to the next stage? And he's like, well, we hit the mark, the, you know, we hit that, that market fit. Um, we realized there was something here. We outsourced our software engineering to the Philippines. We used, we leveraged the Australian dollar. We managed to, you know, get, get a rather cheap um, code together due to the outsourcing. And he, he called it um, spaghetti code. It was like terribly coded. But it, but it was now a step above the MVP. Um, and then I thought, you know, it's all about just throwing yourself in the deep end. If something is meant to be, it'll start coming together and you can't be intimidated by, um, by whether, you know, you can pr produce that, that MVP that you're proud of. Um, so that kind of just gave me the confidence to just say, you know what, why don't I just give us a go, see what happens. And luckily you know it all worked out oh man i love that i love yeah, that and it's it. it's that it's that analogy ready fire aim right i mean yeah. you can only and i found that as well in myself you can only ponder and pontificate things for so long before you do need to you before you actually need to get out there and put things into practice and like hap, what happened with the podcast right john to you i mean yeah, we started earlier say. this year right when we were just filming episodes haphazardly um, you know, it didn't really have any structural organization to the whole thing. And we s sort of like, yeah, literally fired and had no aim at all. But now here we yeah. are today, things are looking a bit better than, than when it started. And I guess you just have to, you have to, you know, build from like that. But the, like you say, Jared, the first, you have to take the first step, yeah. right? Mm. On an important topic here, I think there's a few things I want to add as well. Yes, please, you know, please go we're for dealing, it. We're dealing with the concept of MVP, which is a minimum viable product, and we're dealing with the concept of launch. So, I mean... Can you define minimum viable product? Yeah. So, a minimum viable product is essentially a the most basic version of the solution you're trying to put forward. And it's testing whether it's going to fit the market, the markets, what the market wants. Um, and you know, there's a there's a famous little quote by the guy from um, uh, what's it, YC Combinator um, in Silicon Valley, where he says, "If you're proud of your MVP, you've taken too long to launch." I think that's a that's a very powerful <laughs> statement because. I mean, I was also having to tell myself this on the daily, like. Jared, you need a launch because it it works. It's not pretty, but it works, and you now need to test it. Without customers, you aren't testing it, um, and that also that brings me to the concept of launch. You know, launch launch is an overrated concept. I mean, <laughs> can you pinpoint when Google launched? Can you pinpoint when Facebook launched? No, like does it, it matter? Exactly. So 
<laughs> we launched three times before we had our official launch. You know, launch is when you get your first user. Launch isn't when you say, cool, I'm live. So, I mean, don't, don't be intimidated by the concept of launch either. No, I love that. I love that too, because also like I can relate to that in, in the business I was involved in last year, there was this big thing about a launch, you know, and it was like also, you know, trying to get the the website, uh, basically the MVP is is like as perfect as possible. And as you're saying that you, you're just debunking that whole mindset where you, you then you, you're just bleeding, you're just bleeding cash, bleeding resources, and you're not yeah. making a business, right? If you look at Airbnb, for example, if you go and you search what Airbnb looked like um, from day one, you know, the MVP, didn't have a map, no Google Maps, you couldn't do online payments. It was it was very basic, um, you know, and there's there's another company called Slug. Um, what what they did or what they do is um, you order them through the app and then it's in the US and then they They'll come and they'll, if you ordered a big item at a shop, they'll come and they'll take the item and they'll put it on a truck for you and take it home, you know, so you don't have to deal with that. But what the founders did was they would wait around Ikea and they would see a dude with a big couch dragging you along and you'd, you'd go to the guy and you'd be like, hey man, like, that looks like a real tough situation here. And the guy's like, yeah, no, this sucks. And he's like, sure, imagine there was like this company that just helped you and, you know, just took this warrior off your hands, put it on a truck and, and delivered it to your house. And they're like, sure, that'd be amazing. And he's like, actually, you know, I know this guy who does it. Gave him his number. And then the guy phoned, well, he went around the corner, the guy phoned and it was him. And he came back and he's like, hey, cool, like, can I take your couch? So like, what I'm trying to say, <laughs> you can be very practical, pragmatic in the beginning to test your product. And testing, and testing it for free as well. Because I've also heard, um, I was listening to a podcast a while ago two or three years ago from one of the founders of Netflix. And they, we were talk, they were talking about the exact same thing that we're talking about now. How do you start? How do you actually test the market and stuff? There, you know, there, there's, there's so much merit and, the, and, and, you know, this is where, this is how you kick things off. You have to get out into the field. Like you say, go to the guy in the car park and ask if he's, you know, if ex he's experience, experiencing a certain problem and try and solve it right then and there as far as you can for free. You know, and you can do a lot of that. You can talk to people for free. You can do things, you know, as, and try and get as far as you can get for free before, you know, sitting in your room, pondering an idea and then calling an investor and being like, oh, will you invest in my idea or whatever? There's a lot of things you can do for free, yeah. you know. Jared, um, I wanted to ask, so like what kind of research did you do with driving instructors? Because, I mean, they were they're key in, in getting onto the app and starting the business. So... I mean, did you go and interview? Did you go ask them, you know, if this was something they'd be interested in? How did you get get that research done? So I parked at driving test centers and I spent the whole day there. And I spoke to every <laughs> driving instructor that entered the yard. Some were hostile, <laughs> some were very friendly. <laughs> but the point was I was just trying to understand, you know, their industry. And what what I've learned is that they're actually a very tight knit community. All the instructors know each other. Um, so, so when I entered into, you know, this industry, obviously I'm like the outsider now. So I kind mm -hmm. of had to, you know, make them understand that I'm not only providing a service for learner drivers, I'm here to help you. I mean, 
we've we've incorporated a calendar feature into the app so we're explaining to them like would you find this beneficial if you could now manage all your lessons within the app and you know and then they're like but we have external lessons um, like we can have a conflict of diaries so we then developed um, another feature where they can add external lessons into the app so it doesn't even have to be running through our app they can now completely manage their whole diary in our app and then that was kind of the tipping point where they were like okay so you're not you're not trying to take our business from us you know you're trying to elevate our practice that's amazing that's amazing and i guess like it's it's a tough one because they are key stakeholder in your you know in your business where like they make or break it right without them you your whole thing falls on its face if you don't have their approval um so i mean what are the things and and you talked about how they're tight knit community so what are you guys doing what have you what have you guys had to do on the regular to sort of you know almost manage them and you know besides uh, are you are you in regular conversation with them are you what are you doing on that front because they were such a tight knit community we realized uh, we need to bring someone in the industry into our team because they have that industry insight. So that's what I did. We've got a guy um, who's very renowned in the Cape Town uh, driving instructor space. So he's on our newbie team um, and he's kind of our um, point of contact to all the driving instructors and he, and he kind of serves like a management role um, to that end. Um, but I still think it's very important for anyone sitting in an executive position in a company to still handle direct communication um, with clients and users and customers um, because that direct feedback is just so important for company growth. So I still, um, although he handles a lot of the communications, I'll still reach out once a week, check how the instructors are doing, see how um, the app's doing from their perspective um, and also what what people kind of tend to do which isn't best practice in the startup realm is to ask customers um, you know what feature do you want that's that's the wrong question to ask you as the founder are the one coming up with the features you need to say what problem do you have what problem with the app what are you not happy with in the app and then you take that information, you sit with your team, and then you formulate a feature, a solution. So has the, the app, you know, has it developed over time? So you were saying, you know, you know, with starting a business, sometimes it's just about getting it out there. But did you, like, how much time did you spend around the, the functionality of the app? You know, how it was going to actually work practically and what problems it was going to solve? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's literally been evolving weekly. My initial vision of the app has changed quite a lot over the past few months just because of user feedback. So, I mean, initially it was going to be instantaneous bookings. You know, you book your lesson straight away, um, but then that wasn't feasible on the instructor's end. So, we've implemented a choose within 10-day period um, so you can book a lesson 10 days in advance. Um, then we realized we needed to include a package feature, book 10 lessons at a certain price. Um, so these type of iterations have come as a result of just user feedback. Um, and that, you know, that also relates to just the, the hyper competition in the business world. 
you know, um, I think his name is um, Da Vinci. Uh, he calls it the phenomenon of hyper-competition uh, hyper where you launch, you then exploit at a level um, of profit, and then um, you counter-attack, but then the profit drops. So what he, um, you know, proposes is that before you drop off, you've already launched something new. Um, and, you know, companies talk about diversifying, but but essentially what you're doing is you're just trying to stay ahead of the competition or continuously trying to satisfy that user need. So it's all about iteration, you know. Um, Sachi and Sachi say that there's two fundamental functions of a business. It's marketing and innovation. You know, I, I can't agree more. Like innovation, innovation, innovation. So, so with that, Jared, that's that's a really interesting point. And to me, you know, that the the, the framework you just put out uh, when you start diversifying and the profits drop, that sounds to me that sounded to me as though you need to come out with a new product or new business division. But are you talking more about the fact that like internally you diversifying and changing your approach and improving in that way? Yes. Not not more than a releasing a new product or. Yeah, so I see those. I see those two concepts go hand in hand. You know, when uh, I feel like you can never sit still in term in technology. Um, you can't ever just sit still and expect that your product will remain at a at a certain demand um, without continuously improving. Because if you're not doing that, you're not putting up your barriers to entry, and and that's kind of like the motto I've been trying to drill down within our newbie team. And I kind of ask this question every day to our team. I'm like, have we done something today to ensure that we are, um, you know, solidifying ourselves in the industry and becoming the incumbent? And if not, how can we? And, and that just points directly at the whole concept of innovation and improvement. That's amazing. And not, and not getting complacent either, which is super cool. And I think this also leads on to my next question then. So what's your vision for Newbie? you know in the maybe okay in the short term but also in the long term and and what do you think have you got in mind for improving it and bolstering it, its position in the market yeah so i mean first port of call is just a, a rapid expansion so january we're going johannesburg february we're going durban and then you know by mid next year we we nationwide in sa um and and sa is the test bed we've we really just want to wax everything in South Africa and then we're going to go international. So we're going to go to Europe um, and we just want to become a household name. That's probably probably my like, um, you know, pivotal goal at the moment is is becoming a household name in, um, you know, enabling people to drive a vehicle. How do you intend to sort of get to that household name status in your mind? Do you think that if you guys just continually innovate, uh, make sure that your platform is exceptional consistently and consistently iterate your your product, or is that going to come from sort of marketing? So it's this question of, uh, do you focus on sales and marketing or do you focus on product or is it both? It's both. Um, so we've, we've bootstrapped until now. Um, but we're now entering that point where you need capital um, to to drive both that marketing leg as well as that R&D leg. Um, 
I'm a big advocate of bootstrapping. I think if you guys have an idea, if anyone has an idea, don't throw aside a bootstrap approach in the beginning. You can get a lot done bootstrapping. Um, but now we reach that stage where we, we're looking for funding um, and we, we will, you know, drive hard on the marketing as well. Just a, just a minute on, I find this truly fascinating with the bootstrapping versus finding funding argument. Um, first of all, what, what would be your biggest practical tip for people who bootstrap a product? So ideally, if you if you're doing a tech startup, um, you can get quite far if you have a technical co-founder, um, and then you you kind of satisfy all the different branches of the business internally, so that you guys can work on it without outsourcing. Obviously, looking at salaries is just not really an option in the beginning if you're bootstrapping. So, um, what people you know, there's there's options. There's you can use things like um, vesting equity. Or vesting shares, so you can um, you can put down KPIs for people, and you say if you hit these KPIs, then a certain amount of equity will vest under your name. Um, so, so it's like sweat equity. Sweat equity, yes, uh, yes. Um, and you know, you could also do profit share agreements. But to be honest with you, um, and I've been told this by quite a few people now, it's it's not a healthy approach to a startup if you start throwing away equity and dividing profits. Ideally, you want to be providing steady income for employees through salaries. Um, so, so it is quite a difficult situation where you, you, you're very money strapped. Um, you're trying to find the necessary skills to produce your deliverables. Um, so, so for my opinion, you know, you want to create a team that can, can do the basics in the beginning. And not and not like completely go mental with uh, getting a huge team, but but keeping it nimble enough to get the job done and to to get your product out there. Exactly, and that's the whole thing with startups. And the real benefit of startups to the big companies sometimes is your you agile. When your team is you know um, very much tight knit, you can make decisions quickly. You can pivot quickly. Um, and that, and that's just so important in this space. Are you and Jason technical? Are you and Jason technical at all? Like, I mean, besides you guys teaching your own, uh, you know, teaching yourselves a bit of code here and there. But um, no, you see, so okay. I would be defined as the technical co-founder, but I <laughs> don't tick all the boxes. So okay, okay, Jared. Um, Tell me a little bit about now that you, you're looking for capital to expand. Um, what's going through your mind on, say, taking on a, a debt or, you know, giving away equity? And how do you how do you make that decision? Yeah, so my decision has kind of come down to whether um, someone who's looking to take equity from my company can provide a strong technical backing. So I'm not only looking for the money aspect. I'm looking whether they can bring on like a strong team of developers to help kind of bolster the company's growth. So, so yeah, that's kind of a condition where I'm, I'm looking for more than just money. I'm looking for a company that's going to be able to provide me with that development um, assistance. Um, but also, you know, in terms of funding, when you, when you start introducing a whole lot of stakeholders into your business, 
it, it adds this whole new dimensional pressure. So you want to be very cautious with how you approach it. Um, I'm a, I mean, this I'm a novice coming into this this funding realm. Um, so I'm, I've been looking for advice from people in the game um, because it's a, it's a big decision to make. And what's so speaking of that advice, what's the best piece of advice you've received so far? regarding having a funding conversation with investors and have you had any conversations with investors to date and what can you take away from those conversations so far yeah so i've i've had a few um discussions with different like um, vcs um i would say the the main the main takeaway from these these companies is is whether they they see a like significant growth in the company um, and whether they see the founders as people who, you know, who really can steer the company towards success. Um, so when you're going into these funding rounds, you want to really make sure that you, you're proving to them that you're bringing a solution and a problem that's favorable to an, invest, to an investor. And that's dealing with things like is the is the market growing at in excess of twenty percent? That's usually like a rule of thumb. You know, again, are you are you providing an unfair advantage um, in the industry you're entering? And you, you're just trying to bolster up your your offering so that you know you you can actually take on a or you can give away an, a decent amount of equity that's favorable for both parties. Jared, um. I wanted to ask you, so you've got the law background and you understand a bit of the the legal side to things. I mean, what kind of risks or liability does your company face and how have you looked at, you know, mitigating that and giving us your company proper, you know, legal, a proper legal structure or, you know, covering your, covering your ass basically? <laughs> so I'd say the most pressing um, legal um, ramification that um, tech startups are going to face in South Africa going forward um, is to deal with personal um, data and the protection thereof. Because you've got, you've got yeah. the Pop Act coming to effect in July, and that brings in a whole um, new stringent system of data protection, a much needed system of data protection. Um, we're pretty late to the party in that respect. I mean, you've got Europe with the GDPR and um, so, so that's something we've had to really look into, um, especially because we're dealing with very sensitive data. Um, we're dealing with, with people's personal information. So that's, that's something we've had to deal with. Um, and we've obviously um, looked at external advice for that. And then obviously I've been able to kind of leverage my understanding of, of data protection. Um, and that's kind of just built into the, the structure of how the app is, is designed. You know, you, you're encrypting the information um, and you're putting up various safety walls. Um, so yeah, so that's one aspect. And then you're also just looking at the, the general intellectual property protection. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a tricky one, because I mean, you, you can do the, the necessary software licensing agreements um, you can put in the necessary trademarks and stuff, but then that again comes down to um, do you have the funding? Because that's that's an expensive excursion when you're trying to 
um, protect yourself through trademark routes um, and even going further to you know patent protection. So so that's that's the type of conversation you need to start having once you get big enough and you have that funding. And and what about legal protection or liability for say a, a driving instructor through through your app is negligent or you know is there any risk that you expose to to that you know whatever could happen in that regard yeah so what you kind of pointing at here is vicarious liability and um, the instructors aren't in our employment so they are independent contractors so by law we are excluded from liability from their actions um, we've made that clear in our terms and conditions, just made that an explicit term that we aren't held responsible for their actions. However, we do put in very stringent vetting processes. Um, we also monitor them. So if there is any transgressions against our, our policy, um, we have a way of either giving them warnings or actually um, prohibiting them from being on the application. So, I mean, that's that's been like a, a very much a strong um, mission statement of Newbie is that we're trying to create a platform where there's safe, high quality and reliable driving instructors. And as a platform, a centralized platform, we have the we have the tools and the power to manage that. So was that something you got external advice from or did you know, you know, this is something that we should put in? To the terms and conditions and you understood that whole what's it called visceral liability vicarious that li yeah, so no, that's just, sorry yeah. <laughs> vicarious <laughs> it's a big lawyer big, word eh? big words eh? that us us business gents don't understand too well <laughs> no i didn't no i didn't not for that um for the for the data protection i'm, I'm going to be looking um externally for advice because that's quite a complex um, process to deal with but the the fundamental legal structure of the business um, I've dealt with I mean that's kind of what I've been trained to do so it'd be a crime if I didn't um, <laughs> yeah what's um Jared what speaking of your law your law background what other sort of soft skills do you think you know helped you to start these different businesses and um yeah, not a non-technical law skill. How do you think that the law background for other people maybe studying law uh, to maybe focus on? Um, I would say, I'd say problem solving. Eh? I mean, laws basically comes down to problem solving, and you know that's that's kind of the the soft skills that you you learn as a law student. So when you start pointing those skills at business issues, um, it naturally follows that you can start coming up with pretty um, lucrative ideas if you really want to. And I guess reading between the lines, right? Because obviously you, do, you guys do a lot of reading. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the skills that you learn as a law student are very translatable to the business world. I mean, I said that earlier. Um, and, you know, I like, I like telling this, this kind of the story. But if you think about the concept of a company, it's fascinating, dude. It's, it's a social construct that's underpinned by the laws of a jurisdiction that we as society have agreed on. And we basically say that 
when this group of people or this single person decides to create this this organization or this entity, you're going to give it the stamp and call it a juristic person and give it limited liability and let it go into the, the commercial world and start, you know, providing some form of utility to society. And like that's just to me the coolest concept because take the Nike tick, for example. If we didn't have that social construct, like there's nothing, there's no value underneath that Nike tick. But as soon as you start creating these, this this legal entity known as a juristic person, magic happens, and it's just it's awesome. And I guess what what that that tick means for for people's mind, you know, and I I, I guess that's that'll be something for you guys to focus on as newbie in the next, you know, decade. How are you gonna? How are people gonna see you? You know how when people think of the driving driving lesson industry, what are they gonna, what are they gonna think? You know, and who's gonna come to mind first? It's gonna be you guys. You yeah. Know? So it goes sure, beyond. I, I hope the autonomous cars don't come too soon. <laughs> that'll be great. I mean, that maybe that'll be another people place to... you can expand into. <laughs> <laughs> people I need to learn how to drive then. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> And I wanted to ask, what's your relationship like with with Jason, your co-founder? I know you guys are involved in uh, in other businesses as well together. Um, and you know, obviously, I assume you guys were friends before you became business partners. How have you sort of dealt with that sort of transition in the relationship? Yeah. Um, so Jason and I have been good mates from uni. Um, he went to Uplands in Pumalanga. Um, so, so we kind of, we met at Steli's and, you know, we've been good mates since, um, he was also involved with the, the notes venture. Like he, he was, he was there from day one. So we've been, we've been going at it since then. Um, but Jason, yeah, so I think it's a good, a good segue here to, to kind of, um, move on to the other business AMS because Jason was the one who brought me into AMS and that was also this year. So, so we kind of tied, um, we kind of reconnected this year because he was in the UK um, and I was in Australia. Um, and then he emailed me and he was like, I've got this brilliant idea for the telematics industry. And I was like, no way, it's because I've got a brilliant idea for the driving instructor. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> so it was like a swap. I love it. I yeah. love it. Um, and then we were like, well, flip, hey. Um, how are we gonna how are we gonna do this we're like on the other sides of the planet like how how are we gonna communicate like how are we gonna actually work on these projects um this is how you're gonna communicate well you know, but fast forward i mean COVID hit and then it turns out we both flew back to cape town and and then that kind of all just worked out pretty well so so yeah so jason's also really um he's a very interesting guy he loves business um he's very much in the know-how and he and he, um, he enjoys research something that i sometimes don't look into enough so he handles a lot of the marketing research just to make sure we, we're going in the right direction um so yeah we complement each other well i think that's important as co-founders you want to find someone that I call it, they call it in golf dovetailing, but I mean, I don't know if it's that applicable here, but <laughs> you know, the skills that you don't have, you want your co-founder to have. And Jared, just tell us a little bit more about um, AMS. 
which is and stands for asset monitoring solutions um so i remember we chatted a bit about it and it's you know uh tracking fleets of trucks and all sorts of cool um you know tech-based monitoring of these fleets so chat to us a little bit more about what it does you might yeah. need to throw in some definitions as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay well i mean it's it's positioned in the internet of things you know so you're dealing with tangible um tangible goods that have the ability to extract data and send that data off um through an internet connection and that can then be retrieved and you know this this whole industry is just in my opinion um going to be the next big thing i mean i wrote down here it's currently valued at um, $115.49 billion, and it's growing at um, 8.4 CAGR percent per year. Sure. So, so it's an industry that's, that's just going to be taking off um, as we go into this whole fourth industrial revolution um, where knowledge is, is key. Um, so, so, I mean, this is why AMS was just um you know very interesting to me it's a it's a uk based company that originally started in the uk it's it's a tested um, software solution where you basically insert hardware devices into mobile assets like trucks but i mean that could vary it could be it could be anything it could be a tank i mean a, a container on a ship if you want um and basically you can then extract a lot of information from that device. So for example, you put it in a, in a truck's horse um, and depending on the device that you choose, you can have remote access to driver behavior. You can have access to ignition cutouts. You can have access to live footage if you want to insert cameras on the truck. So it's, it's giving, um, fleet managers the ability to have complete control over all their assets in real time um, and that's essentially the the service offering of ams so so we've launched ams africa um, as a subsidiary of this company and we now just looking to kind of entrench ourselves in the african industry um, the logistics industry in africa is huge um, and it continues to grow um, but with that comes a lot of um, difficulties being a third world continent um, and that's safety. Like people are having serious issues with truck theft and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And this is where there's a lot of utility in being able to monitor. Okay, so if I'm a fleet manager, does it, is, is that sort of the main, what, what's the real value add to fleet managers say in Africa? Is that, is that one of the big ones, protection over your assets? and maybe just optimization or exactly. can you maybe elaborate on that yeah so i mean i would say the, the the fundamental benefits would be you know safety prevention of theft and then it's it comes down to that optimization slash efficiency so when you can start um you know um, analyzing driver behavior you can start improving fuel efficiency and things like that and and that all affects bottom lines of companies and, and I guess that's safety as well. That's safety yeah. in, a, in a sense yeah. as well, driver behavior. So we just, yeah, we're just trying to boost profits. So we just, it's all about that bottom line. And, and that's exactly and where we're going. Jared, um, so you just gather the data, right? Um, the companies 
need to now analyze that data or do you do that the analysis of the data as well so when you onboard with AMS, um, you, you get access to the, the dashboard and then you have full access to all the data you need. Um, and because we obviously now a startup in Africa, um, we can provide these um, bespoke um, solutions. So we can customize um, our, our technology for a certain fleet. So if they want to have, um, I don't know, geofencing or if they want to have um, you know, location updates every five minutes instead of 10 minutes, we can make that happen. That's and amazing. Jared, um, so you're the subsidiary of, of AMS UK, right? So tell me, did you, did you buy a product that, or, or the, get the license to use that product in Africa essentially, or was this something that you had to actually kind of create yourself a little bit? Yeah. So, I'll tell a little bit of Jason's story here because I think it's quite an important story about just networking in business. So when Jason was in London, he was working at a at a pub, and through a mate, he met this guy who turned out to own a massive telematics company. And he's he's always wanted to come to Africa, but he's never you know had that. Um, he's never you know kind of dived into the deep end and, and tried Africa because this is a whole different a whole different ball game down here. Um, <laughs> and Jason was like, you know, um, I mean, I understand the territory pretty well. Like, I'd be very keen to, to give this a go, you know. And and from that conversation, um, it kind of materialized. And now we're in this, in this agreement with the, the UK division um, to use their software or innovate on their software um, and build our presence on the continent sure. so from jason's perspective it was more it was a matter of like being being in the right place at the right time and capitalizing on an opportunity that he saw that could i mean to start a business you know exactly it's all about just chatting meeting new people you never know what's around the corner putting yourself out there um and jared i also wanted to ask this makes me think so you guys are obviously like john t mentioned you the guys are the subsidiary of AMS UK. So I'm just thinking you must have some real fun with this little venture because I assume you guys are, are you guys backed by the UK, the the head, uh, the parent company in the UK and you sort of have license to, to play and innovate and grow in Africa without, obviously with, with a fair amount of risk uh, to the company, but I mean, you do have the backing of the parent company and it's yeah. not your own. Um. So, I mean, I don't want to go into too much detail because I think it's a little bit confidential at the moment. Yeah, but, yeah, sure. What you can um, say. Yeah, but, yeah, so we we definitely have um, an exciting road map ahead in terms of growth because, like you said, you've, we've, we're piggybacking off a very well-established business. That's great. That's great. Sure, that's exciting. And... Jared, um, you know, maybe that it's a good time then to to chat about the the third the third business, which I know you're very excited about, Elevar. Um, so why don't you tell us a little about a little bit about Nootropics, um, and you know what the business is all about. Yeah. What does that mean? What does that word mean? First of all, Nootropics. Yeah. So. <laughs> A good a good starting point is that you watched the movie Limitless. 
you know. Oh, okay, yeah, it. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I feel like, yeah, so I don't want to make it sound like it's smoke and mirrors, but basically it's, it's looking at um, supplements or nutrients that is there to effectively improve, you know, cognition function, your executive function of your brain, um, and, and just general brain health. And, um, you know, just as a background to this, and what really fascinates me about this industry, which again is a massively um, booming industry, especially in the US, like the growth rates of this industry is amazing. And it points to a reason, um, and that's the world is so competitive these days, so competitive and everyone's looking for an edge an edge in their work, an edge in their sport, an edge in, you know, anything. Um, and when when you can say to someone that through natural ingredients, which our ancestors used, because there's a lot of documentation that the Egyptians and the Indians all used to use stuff um, that falls into this nootropics realm, um, you know, it's, it's quite exciting. Like, it excites me, for one, because... I've been trying our products. We worked really long um, in trying to create these perfect synergies between different compounds. And it, it's made my, my mind clearer. It's, it's allowed my stringing of sentences to be better. Um, and it's, it's just a very exciting space that I think you're gonna see a lot of traction over the next few years. And that, that stringing of sentences uh, together very well has definitely been demonstrated during this podcast. I can, can definitely yeah. tell you. Um, and the, it's super interesting, because interesting, I mean, this venture then is like completely different to your other two that you're involved in right now. How did you stumble into this? Uh, are you also uh, co-founding this with Jason? What What is happening? Uh, how did you get into this? Yeah, so Jason's the co-founder. Um, we, we came up with the idea purely through a market research um, analysis. I read an article and Jason also read an article about nootropics. Um, I think Jason actually tried nootropics when he was in the US. Um, and I was like, yo, this is cool. Looked into it more, you know, looked at all the different, um, the market factors, you know, what's the growth rate, um, What's the, the potential size of the market? Um, you know, what what are working class, middle class people looking for? And all these things are just pushing in this direction of flip. There, there could be something here. And especially because I was like, I, I would like to buy this product. And there's not much in South Africa. The market is still very much in a, in a latent phase. Um, so... Yeah, so it, it was it was kind of that that pushed us towards this venture, and then also we were just kind of on a roll, like with newbie and stuff. <laughs> we're like, man, yeah. why can't we just add another thing to the mix? Um, you know, uh, there's this quote by um, by Mario Andretti where it's like, if everything seems under control, you're not going fast enough, and I feel like that's kind of like described like my approach to this year. Um, and it's Jared, amazing. do you not, I mean, so obviously just from my side, you know, I look here, I'm like three businesses, three startups on the go, like one startup is, is a lot to deal with. Do you not, you know, I mean, at some point do you think, is this, you know, manageable? Three businesses on the go 
Um, and, you know, how do you think you're going to deal with that as these businesses grow and get larger? Yeah, so with Elevar, we've brought on a really exciting guy to help us um, um, kind of pull the, the company forward. Um, his name's James Fremantle. Um, he's he's quite a um, he's got quite a presence in the in the fitness industry and he's got a marketing background. So to your question, it's basically about ensuring you've got a team around you that can you can rely on. And then also it comes down to time management. And if I could pick at Elon's brain, I'd love to. But you know, the ability to break up your day. Um, and provide your utmost attention to each business in sections, I think it's very important. You know, I've, I've kind of approached this in a segmented way where I'm like, I will deal with one company at one time and move on to the next and move on to the next because as soon as you start jumbling things, you're not, you're not giving it your, your full attention. So, so it's definitely a time management juggle, but it's also about surrounding yourself with support. And and Jared, speaking of time management, it's a perfect segue because I do, I do want to did want to get into this, knowing that you have three businesses on the go. To everyone in the audience, here's your use case for why you know what I mean for why you can't you are able to go go and start that businesses and start four other businesses uh, at <laughs> the same time. So, talking about time management, how do you do it? What's the framework you use? How do you split up your day? I know Elon Musk. Speaking of him, he does what, two days at Tesla, three days at SpaceX and whatever else. So how do you, how do you sort of think about that? So I, I think I've read the 5am club about five times. <laughs> sure. It's literally like, uh, I just love that book so much. And, also on uh, my book list. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, mine too. So I'm a strong believer in the, the 20, 20, 20 formula. So I genuinely think that if you can, um, you know, kind of get in the right mindset in the morning, the rest of the day is just so much more productive. Um, and waking up that much earlier, in my opinion, it just allows for a very productive window before the world just gets going. So that's how I kind of squeeze in my first sesh, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Um, so yeah, so. The 2020 formula, 2020, 20 formula, um, if the audience doesn't know, it's just basically the first um, portion is you, you're doing exercise, you, you're getting your blood flowing, you're getting your cortisol up, um, you're, you're waking yourself up. Um, is this 20 minutes, sorry, or is it yeah. 20? Yes, okay. so okay. 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Um, okay. And then in the middle section is you kind of um, reflecting on your on yourself and personal growth and then the next stage is is learning so you would listen to a podcast read a book um so i've, I've been following this and they say that you know if you do this for 66 days in a row it becomes a habit um so i can say that you know that that is true like if you if you continuously do this eventually you're going to be doing doing it without an alarm so, so that's my one tip for time management, get up early because your day is longer and make sure your mind is in the right state. Um, How many days have you been doing the 2020-20 formula? Oh, uh, since like... Whereabouts? Uh, there, 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 over a year, yeah. Over a year now, okay. Yeah. Okay. 
And so you no wonder you got three business. businesses, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jared, so are you? Do you then? How much sleep do you get? Do you go to bed quite early then? If you're up at five? Yeah, no. I think if you get around seven to eight hours for me, that's that's perfect. That's what I kind of aim for. Great. Okay, so you're in bed like ten, nine, yeah. ten. Yeah. Okay. And then during the day when you are actually, you know, doing your your daily uh, uh, routine and businesses and you jumping between business to business, how are you structuring your day actually? Are you doing are you doing like splitting into three, newbie, AMS, uh, Elevar, or uh, yeah, how are you structuring your day? You know, so I'd, I'd separate them into three things, uh, but also sure i can't recommend enough just using all these awesome like project management tools out there there's like such cool stuff like i'm using asana and slack i don't know if you guys have heard okay. of those yep yep but but it just makes your life so much easier so i mean if you aren't using that i recommend checking it out um because it all comes down to communication when you're dealing with a team you want to have that like transparency and timeless communication and that's that's kind of what slack allows for so asana is the one is it more like project management where you creating tasks and you can delegate it to to team members right yeah okay and and you can integrate them now so you can integrate asana into slack so it's uh, like okay okay yeah. and jared have you had you know in this year obviously it's been COVID. it's been a time of uncertainty Generally, I mean, starting three businesses, trying to get everything off the ground can be stressful in itself. Have you had bad days and how have you, you know, managed to get yourself out of the slump? I've had plenty of bad days, man. (laughs) (laughs) um, And to be honest, some days I haven't been able to get out of the slump. Like we all we all have those really bad days. And I feel like. I don't know, I feel like for me exercise helps like a, i feel like a run is a good escape um but it's honestly like it's definitely not sunshine and rainbows it's 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 tough like getting businesses going is really tough and if you don't enjoy that it's not sustainable Amazing. And jared you know on this topic of you know bad days um you know what what challenges have you faced um, with your businesses, like maybe an example and how have you dealt with that? Um, if you can give us an example, advice on facing certain problems that you go through in, in a startup. Yeah. So, um, in, in the 5am book there, he has this, this phrase where he says, um, you know, all change is hard at first, messy in the middle and like beautiful at the end. Um, and then, like, there's a, there's a lot of plays on the sentence. So, like, that, um, there's a venture capitalist in Joburg called Vuzi. I don't know if you guys know him. So he, oh, yeah, Vuzi Tembakwaya. Yes, yeah. So Love he him. put Love him. Yeah, it's amazing. That guy, you must listen to his podcast. It's insane. I must, um, definitely. So his, his spin on it is, um, you know, it's always clear in the beginning, messy in the middle, and obvious at the end. And I quite like that one. You know, but my little spin on it is kind of like a combination of the two. Like, it's clear in the beginning, but it's still very hard to get a business going. In the middle, it's messy. And then at the end, it is beautiful, but you got to sustain yourself and you got to keep innovating to to keep that that state. So, 
people don't like progress. So I've had I've had a lot of people in in the driving instructor community like trying to really trample us um, on the daily, to be honest. And we are all human beings, Bruce. So what I do is I just I phone the guy and I just speak to him like a normal bloke. I'm just like, hey man, like I understand your frustration. Um, but like defaming the company is like not good for us. Um, what's the issue? Um, so, I, so what I'm basically saying is I, I communicate, I be transparent. I feel like if you're transparent in your business undertakings, there's a lot less that can go wrong because all your cards are on the table. Um, also, what can can be an issue in the app world is bad reviews. Um, I had I've had a, a couple of bad reviews and it was because of a bug in the early days. Um, I picked up the phone. I phoned over 30 people that were complaining. I explained to them what the issue was. And as soon as I explained to them the issue, just like a normal conversation, the whole tone just changed. And they're like, oh, like, no worries. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, I understand. This is this is the business world. Like. Um, we'll remove the review. So we're all just like normal people, essentially. Um, mm. And if you just communicate, I feel like a lot of things can be resolved. I mean, so it's nipping in the nipping things in the bud as yeah. early as possible. Uh, I also wanted to say, I mean, so business, you know, in the real world, you're dealing with people. I mean, it's so cool that you brought this up because often in business, you know, you'll hear a lot of the times it's, dealing with people and people are you know people can be difficult right so i mean you've said you know being transparent and communication um you know what kind of other people skills do you think are important in in the business world yeah i feel like i feel like the ability to put yourself in other people's shoes is really important what happens in business and what i'm i definitely do a lot but i'm aware of this is you you get quite um, pigeonholed and you, you put your blinkers on and you don't really look at other perspectives. And, you know, that just ties back to that in my initial comments about teams and the diversity of thought. You need to be able to, I know this word gets used too much in the startup community, but you need to pivot your thoughts as well. You need to be able to, you need to, be able to think from different angles. And I think that's an important people skill because then you then you can understand other perspectives better okay so jared what i really wanted to ask you to close is how does an aspiring entrepreneur know that they have an idea worth pursuing um and then how do they actually make that happen yeah so there's there's so many ideas out there and people really need to understand if an idea you know warrants execution and I think what is, what is, what's important to understand is when you're coming up with a solution for a problem you've identified, you need to ask yourself whether is it a solution in search of a problem? In other words, have you now said, I want to do X, you know, and I'm trying to find a problem to fit that solution. And that's that's a big no, no. Like you need to be able to say this is a problem that is experienced frequently by people. I've done market research. I've looked into and personally asked people about this problem. 
and my solution not only addresses it, but it comes with a you know 10x um, utility or benefit. Um, my solution not only comes with utility, but it also can be more price effective. And then also whether you know to acquire users with that solution, what's the acquisition cost? If you're saying there is an acquisition cost attached to shifting people onto your solution, that's also a bit of a red flag. But if you can just through word of mouth and through organic growth prove that your solution is valid, then you're onto something. So I mean, once you once you've kind of established whether your solution, you know, has legs, if you want to call it that, then you really need to look at: Do I have the right team around me? What is my MVP going to look like? And you need to set down a time frame. Put down that time frame with specs, and you know, execute a sprint to make sure that happens and launch. Like we said earlier, just launch. Um, and then just and just experience the journey from there and iterate after that launch period. So I mean, it's it's fun. Like I, that's that's probably my takeaway from all of this. Just have fun with it. Businesses are out there to just improve society, and if you put it off, that's awesome. If not, you know, failure is just a lesson in life. Like you can just take all those all those little bits of information you learned from that and you can leverage it in a in a subsequent attempt. Jared Stratum, everybody. I can safely say that this man has shifted my mind. I hope he does the same to you. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of MindShift. Thank you, Jared, for literally blowing our minds away. Cheers, Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Okay, podcast. Episode's over. Thank you so much for giving it a listen. As always, we really appreciate the support. Please leave a review if you're listening on Apple. It helps the podcast incredibly. And please subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the cool episodes that we have coming next. You just can't afford to. Till the next Mind Shift, chat to you soon.